0: the wind has captured the imagination and acclaim of the entire world the screen has never known a love story to compare with this when Rhett butler meets scarlett o'hara
1: i love you more than i've ever loved any woman and i've waited longer for you than i've ever waited for any woman
0: let me alone
1: kiss me once can't we ever forget that day at 12 oaks do you think i could ever forget it have you
0: forgotten it can you honestly say you don't love me
1: no, I, I don't love you. It's a lie. Well, even if it is a lie, do you think I'd go off and leave Melanie and the baby?
0: I'm not cornered. And you'll never corner me, Red Butler, or frighten me. You've lived in dirt so long you can't understand anything else. And you're jealous of something you can't understand. But good night.
1: It's not that easy, Scarlett. Turn me out while you chase Ashley Wilkes, while you dreamed of Ashley Wilkes. This is one night you're not turning me out. A love affair you'll remember as long as you live, filled with all the fire and fury of the times in which it happened.
0: Gone with the wind. First picture to win 10 Academy Awards. The most honored, the most talked about motion picture in all film history. Hello, and welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema, Episode 9. We're going to be talking about Gone with the Wind today. One away from I'm, ten, that's crazy. I know. I can't <laughs> believe we people to listen to us for nine episodes. Well, it is ten, actually, if we count the Mother's Day episode. That's
1: true, yeah.
0: I'm your host, Jimbo, along with my co-host, Terrence. Hello, hello. Who might be falling asleep during this, so and he just got <laughs> off work, so we're trying to get this done. Uh, just a heads up, this uh, movie is a long movie. It's almost like two minutes shy of four hours so we wanted to do it justice. So this podcast will be a longer episode. So I know some people like to listen while they're at work or driving. So uh, just hang with us. There'll be want- multiple
1: commutes to finish this one.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we wanted to make sure we did the movie justice too. So Terrence, are you ready for your question of the day? It's I, I gave you a break this week. It's not, it's more of a uh, discussion than it is a question. Okay. So Terence, I want to know. I wrote down the top 10 grossing movies without inflation. Okay. I want to see how many of these you can get. And then I'll run down the whole list at the end with how much they made. So let's see if you can guess any of the top 10 grossing movies.
1: So I do know one is a given and that's this movie, Gone with the Wind. Wrong. Wrong. Really? Wrong. Yep. Huh. Oh, cuz not counting for not inflation. Counting You're right. Inflation. Okay, no, hold on. Okay, so hold on. Let's let's restart here. Not counting for inflation. Uh I know Avatar's
0: up there. Avatar is number one with 2.788 billion.
1: Yep. Uh, Let's see. Black Panther's up there.
0: Black Panther's number 10 with 1.342 billion. Uh, Let's see.
1: Endgame should be up there.
0: Endgame is number two at 2.627 billion.
1: Let's see. Is Titanic up there? Titanic's number
0: three at 2.187 billion. You're doing better than I thought you would.
1: Uh, I know. I want to say Force Awakens. Force
0: Awakens here. is number four at 2.068 billion.
1: How many? How many is that?
0: You've got. You're halfway home. You got five. You got okay. one, two, three, four. Number ten.
1: All right. Let's. Now I really got to put my thinking cap on.
0: I'll give you a hint. <laughs> three more of these are from the Marvel universe.
1: Okay. So I want to say. The first Avengers movie. Avengers
0: is number seven yep. with 1.518 million, billion. Sorry.
1: Uh, let's see. What was another? The f- the first Iron Man? No. Nope. No, I didn't think so. All, Age of Ultron.
0: Age of Ultron is yeah. number nine. I think with all the collaborations. 1.405 yeah. billion. And you only got three left. I'll go ahead and give them to you. Okay. Yeah. This is going to be a long podcast anyway, <laughs> uh, so we'll just run through them real quick. Number ten was Black Panther. Number nine was Avengers: Age of Ultron. Number eight was Furious Seven. Really? Okay. I, that's I, that a one kind of surprised one. me. Yeah, it was one point five one six billion. Uh, seven was the original Avengers. Six was Jurassic World with one point six seven one billion. Oh. Okay. And number five was Avengers: Infinity War. 2.048 billion. That's right. I don't know. Four was we'll Star Wars The Force Awakens, three Titanic, two Avengers in Game, and one was Avatar. Mm. So, Terrence, I wrote down this fact right here. Kind of shocked me. I was like, man, this is something that you normally wouldn't hear, but I went for an actor fact. So, here it is Woody Harrelson's dad was a hitman and a convicted murderer. He was <laughs> also suspected of killing JFK. What? That's what I was like. Wow, that's insane,
1: right? There's there's a there's a TV show uh, I forgot what it's called, but they like dive into people's past and the, of like celebrities and stuff, and um, that would be interesting if he was on there and he didn't know that. I'd be like, oh, by the way, that's what I did when I read. It. I
0: was like, whoa. Uh, also, this day in um, I call it movie slash whatever uh, history um, on May 29th I believe it was 1943. I forgot to write down 43 or 42. Bing Crosby records "White Christmas," which is the world's best-selling single, estimated at 100 million copies sold. Huh. So, um, now I'd also like. To, we're going to go ahead and throw this out here now. Um, I told you last week we were going to have a special announcement. Terrence, are you ready for the special announcement? Let's do it. Sorry, we're going to wait till the end of the podcast. That's when I what I was going to say right now <laughs> but uh we do have a one special listener that emails me all the time or messages me samuel farrell and uh if you remember at the turtles we were having some problems about why this movie was rated or uh, uh, worried about the violence so he sent me this he said why so much worry about the violence he says i have a theory about why teenage mutant ninja turtles got so much heat for the violence If you remember the late 80s, there was a hard push for stricter ratings on music and films following the heavy metal music debate hearings and invention of the parental guidance labels. Not sure if that's contributed or not, but the timeline fits. Also, I love that you all covered this film as it was the first movie I saw in theaters when I was almost five. Now on to the important question: When are y'all covering the Godfather?s <laughs> I mean, he he loves the Godfather, and I'm telling you what, it's going to be coming in June. There, so just hold your horses. And also, he uh, we asked in the Magnificent Seven episode about why would why is the first thing the cowboys always did? We go into a saloon, and uh, as like it's like every cowboy movie you've seen. So he he sent me this. He said generally the saloon would be the first place cowboys went when riding into town because usually towns were a couple of hours apart. And so the first thing you would want to do is get some food and a drink. He's like, however, Deadwood was more accurate because if you watch it, the first place people head to when coming into camp was the hotel to establish somewhere to stay and also had food and drinks. So, Samuel, thanks for listening. Uh, We will be getting your godfather done. Uh, Just hang with me. I'm (laughs) I'm going by how people gave me their... um, special uh, listener views or and email what is me do. on my podcast yeah. Ask <laughs> me for a favor <laughs> a favor we cannot refuse <laughs> so thank you samuel for continued listening and support um so with that being said uh you know if, if we never start we're never going to finish so yeah. terrence let's go ahead and jump Jumping right, into, right, right, into, right into it i have so much to like cover. 50 pages of notes which I whittled down to about 38. So, but like Terrence has like. It's like a
1: graduate dissertation, <laughs> dude.
0: I, well, I put it on Instagram. I said, uh, I think this is more notes than I took, uh, you know, wrote in papers my entire high school and college career. So, but uh, Terrence has like, I'm going to even let Terrence do the cast today because I have so many notes that um, I wanted my voice not to just give out. So, yeah. And we will probably take, like in the movie, we will probably take an intermission in this uh, podcast. So,. Uh, stay tuned for halftime. <laughs> <Yeah,
1: laughs> All right, right, Terrence, you ready? All right, jumping right in. Gone with the Wind. Its release date was January 17th, 1940. Its budget was estimated around uh, $3 million. Really $4 because we're looking at $3,977,000. So you're looking at really close to $4 million. Uh, if you adjust for inflation, that is uh, $72 million. That it took, you know, to uh, the budget of the movie. Now, it's gross in the USA for what they made was $198 million. So they made their money back so many, many <laughs> times over. Um, and then if you adjust for inflation, you're looking at about $3 trillion. They Trillion
0: with a T, not yeah. a, B, a trillion.
1: <laughs> That's trillion. Uh, and the cumulative worldwide gross, we're looking at uh, four hundred. million. A million and seven trillion for inflation, and so and that has to it was show- a hit both domestically and internationally. And that has
0: to show you what kind of movie it is. And and before we go any further, can can I just? I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. Um, I know we say in our disclaimer, but this movie was shot in 1939. There is slavery. I mean, not that it's actually. You know, I mean, it, it's it's uh, uh it's. There's ma- yeah. there's maids, and then there's workers in the field. You know what I mean. So, but I want everybody to know that that's not a thing me and Terrence approve of, and we disagree with our history. So we wanted to throw that out there, but we wanted to also know, let you know about it, that what's in the movie in case you decide to watch it. So yeah,
1: it's not very accurately big That, would, yes, be that would be the best way I way. could I could explain that. Uh, so moving on. Uh, this was directed by Victor Fleming and George Kukor, uh, If you guys remember those names, they were also uh, two of the five directors that directed The Wizard of Oz. So that's a little fun fact already. Uh, the writers were Sam Wood. Uh, he was uncredited uh, for writing the credits. Uh, and then Margaret Mitchell, uh, The Story of the Old South, Gone with the Wind. Um, Cindy Howard, the screenplay writer. uh Oliver H.P. Garrett, uh, contributing writer, uncredited. Ben uh, Hecht, contributing writer, uncredited. Joe Swirling, another contributing writer, uncredited. And then John Van Durten, contributing writer, uncredited. So a lot of uncredited writers, but a lot of writing went into this, which I would imagine, I mean, you can't just pop out four hours of, of screenplay and not uh, not get help. Well,
0: right, and and I wonder if they divided it up into scenes like the scenes at Terra Plantation, scenes in Atlanta, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly.
1: So, now we're getting into the technical aspects of the movie. Now, there's a lot of different ones because this movie was released multiple times, um, as classics do. So, uh, we're looking at a runtime of 3 hours and 58 minutes. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the different run times, but it is interesting seeing... Uh, a slight difference between each release uh, both in Sweden, the UK, US. They're, they're not too... T- they're like within 10, 10 minutes, I would say. There's like a 10 minute difference uh, between all of them, but they're all different. So I thought that was that was a little interesting.
0: I wonder if any of them cut out the intermission.
1: That's a good question. How long was the intermission? I don't think, I don't I don't think
0: it's that long. It's, it's, it's like between 5 yeah, and 10 minutes. So usually, it could be...
1: Uh, so now I, I can't give off the re-releases. So it was released in 1940, and it was re-released in 1965, 1985, 1994, and 1989. So it was re-released a, a lot, um, and it probably will get re-released again. You know, whenever <laughs> we come up with new formats, like we always do.
0: Can you imagine like a virtual reality <laughs> where you can actually go into the movie set or whatever? You know, that would and, be interesting. Or, that would be really crazy.
1: They'd have to do some. Crazy research to do that, <laughs> pull that off. Um, so the sound mix we're looking at mono. So Western Electric Sound System. Uh, this was a color movie. Its aspect ratio was one point three seven by one. Uh, its camera was a Bell and Howell uh, twenty-seven oh nine. And I got a little a couple fun facts about this camera. Actually, um, one fun fact is when this camera was invented. L.A. wasn't the hub of movies. Chicago was. And this was back in the 1919, I want to say, 1919, 1920. Chicago was the hub of movies. That's where everybody wanted to film. Uh, and then it moved over to L.A. later. Uh, but when when this uh, camera was invented by Bell and Howell, Chicago was the center hub of uh, Movies And I thought that was interesting. Uh, so this is the first all-metal commercially available 35 millimeter motion picture camera. Uh, it was hand-cranked, um, and thus the Bell & Howell uh, 2709. A uh, last little fun fact about this camera is cinematographers hated the B&H viewfinder because it showed the image upside down. Mm. All of them are replaced by Mitchell viewfinders, which uh, had a prism system that would basically make the image appear correctly. So I, I thought that's that's pretty interesting how they had to interchange some of the parts to uh, uh, replace them with other parts so then they can you know right. fill out that how they want annoying, that, that would though. be yeah that would be a sort of uh, a drawing especially like when you're getting moving shots and stuff and you're seeing everything upside down hey
0: hold just, me upside down so I can <laughs> see
1: how the shot went right exactly uh, so moving on this was a Technicolor three-strip camera um, so basically it has the three different strips that they would you know and pose together so that you can get your color film Uh, this was this laboratory was Technicolor Uh, its film length was 6,187 meters Um, and then some varying lengths uh, with all the releases Um, the longest being 7,360 which is obviously of all the movies the longest uh, film length of all of them ever, ever yeah exactly um I think I think the only movie that would come close to being this long is like Lord of the Rings with the extended scenes,
0: or or maybe a TV miniseries that was shot over multiple days. You know, I'm, you know, Oh delayed. yeah, of course. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know, uh, it's but as, as far movie. as like a
1: like a movie, I don't like. This is a long movie. Like I don't know any movie that makes it except <laughs> like I said, Lord of the Rings with
0: extended. But even that's only well, like this is I believe this is the longest movie in history.
1: Yeah, and I don't think anything's come come close since. Uh, Quite the epic tale So uh, Negative format, 35mm Cinemagraphic uh, process, spherical Printed film format, 16mm That's flat BW, IB Tech, LPP, and Eastman uh, 35 millimeter animographic 1998 pre-release and then once again we got a bunch of different uh, ones for all the different releases now we're going to jump into the awards now there were a lot of awards for this one awards after the interruption <laughs> so uh starting right off academy awards usa 1940 uh they won an honorary award william cameron min uh menzies for outstanding achievement and use of color of the uh, enhancement for a dramatic mood in the production of Gone with the Wind. Uh, they also won an Oscar Best Actress in Leading Role, uh, Vivian Leigh. Best Actress in Supporting Role, Haiti uh, McDaniel. Hattie uh, McDaniel became the first African-American to be nominated for. Excuse me, nominated for and win an Oscar, so that's huge. That is huge. Despite what the movie consisted of, still pretty like you know uh, as awesome to uh, to be first,
0: and that they recognize, yeah, and they
1: recognize the uh, how great uh, an actor they were. So that's amazing. Um, Actress, actress, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, nowadays they, right, I know, yeah, yeah, Uh, but yes, at the time, actress, absolutely, Uh, best director. Uh, Victor Fleming, best writing screenplay, Sidney Howard. Are these all wins? Uh, these are all wins. Wow. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Uh,
0: what is that? Uh, Posthumous. Oh, okay. That means after they died.
1: Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I was like, I'm not familiar with that word there. Okay, so um, Sidney Howard Daniel. became. Uh, Hey, I know some big words. (laughs) (laughs) Sidney Howard became the first uh, posthumous Oscar. Oh, okay. So they won an Oscar after they passed away. That's interesting and sad at the same time. And he was the first. Yeah. Not a first in
0: this. (laughs) Right? Uh,
1: Best Cinematography, uh, Color, Ernest Heller. Ray... Renhan. I'm going to butcher a lot of these names. Just get that out well, there. I think they're used to that by now <laughs> yeah, exactly. listen to
0: the podcast.
1: Uh, <laughs> best Art Direction, Lyle R. Wheeler. Best Film Editing, Hal C. Kern. James E. Newcomb. Uh, best Picture Winner. Technical Achievement Award, R.D. Musgrave. Uh, for pioneering in use of coordinated equipment in the production of Gone with the Wind. They were nominated for Oscar Best Actor Leading Role Clark Gabe Gable, uh, Best Actress in Supporting Role uh, Olivia D. havel Haviland
0: Haviland Yeah, uh,
1: Best Sound Recording Thomas T. Moulton uh, Samuel Goldwyn SSD Best Effects Special Effects Jack Korsgroove, uh, That's photographic uh, Fred. Albin Sound, Arthur Jones Sound, Best Music and Original Score, Max uh, Steiner. So lots of lots of awards to go around. Lots of nominees. They really killed it that year. <laughs> 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 uh, DVD Exclusive Awards 2005. They were nominated for DVD X Award Best Overall DVD for Classic Film.
0: No, no, they won, won that. They were nominated for this and they won for that. Well, no, no, DVD
1: exclusive classic, or, or exclusive awards 2005. That's they were the a nominee event.
0: for this. Then they won for this. Do you see what I'm saying? This, they were just nominated for. Wait, this I'm, is the one that they won. Well, we're, we're done with the Oscars. Though. I know. Yeah, it yeah, is. Like, a whole new section. This is like this. They won this, the DVD award for the best overall DVD for the classic oh, film. Okay, okay. So for the d- okay. DVD the exclusive format. awards in 2005, they were just nominated.
1: Oh, okay. So it's wonky compared to the rest of the format. Right.
0: <laughs> that's, that's why I
1: got that mixed up. I was like, what? Okay. Uh, so they were nominated for DVD exclusive awards in 2005. Um, then DVDX award, best overall DVD classic film. Uh they were a winner on that one. Uh, and then that was for Gone with the Wind, Four Disc Collector's Edition.
0: Wow. Wow. How,
1: I wonder how, like, w- obviously a good chunk of that, like, probably first two discs or for just the movie. The alone. actual movie, right. Um, but I wonder what the other two discs are. Like, would it be uh, just like a commentary th- maybe from like- surviving.
0: Well, facts about the movie, maybe some unseen footage, cut footage. Maybe. I don't know. That'd be cool to get.
1: Well, uh, if you don't own the DVDs, you're in the right place because we got all the facts. <laughs> all right. Uh, the next one, we're looking at the National Film Preservation Board, USA 1989. They were a winner for the National Film Registry. Uh, the and choice. then choice. Yep, People's Choice Awards, uh, USA 1989. They were a winner for People's Choice Award, favorite of all time motion picture.
0: It's amazing how they're still win- winning awards well into the decades, decades later. Yeah.
1: It's, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. So now we'll jump into the synopsis of the movie, and then we'll go into the cast, which is another long list. Everything <laughs> is really long about this movie. I mean, everything. Yeah. All right, so jumping into the synopsis. Set during the Civil War and its aftermath, Scarlett O'Hara, a strong-willed daughter of a plantation owner, follows her romantic pursuit of one, Ashley uh, Wilkes, Wilkes. who is married to his cousin, Melaine Hamilton. Melanie. Melanie, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Melanie Hamilton. uh, Enter Rhett Butler, a rich man who wants to marry Scarlett, who eventually agrees Uh, Will the Civil War tear apart the South? Can Scarlet overcome her love of Ashley to give Rhett her all? Or will her story eventually just fade and become Gone with the Wind? (laughs) So, Are you ready for this long list of cast? Yep. uh, Lots of butchered names. Here we go. (laughs) So, starting from the top, we got Thomas Mitchell. Nice name there. Easy name.
0: Oh, <laughs> just played, wait. <laughs> yeah.
1: So uh, Thomas Mitchell played Gerald O'Hara. Then we have Barbara O'Neill, who played Ellen. His wife is Barbara O'Neill. Um, Vivian Lay played Scarlett, their daughter. Uh, Evelyn Keys, I want to say, yeah. uh, uh, played uh, Sue, Ellen. Uh, Sue Ellen, their daughter. And uh, Ann uh, Rutherford played uh, Kareen, their daughter. George Reeves Brent Tallerton Scarlet's uh, Boo then we have Fred Crane who played uh, Stuart uh, Tallerton uh, Scarlet's Boo <laughs> she <laughs> had a lot of booze.
0: <laughs> she did
1: <laughs> uh, Haley McDaniel played Mammy the house servant Oscar Polk uh, played Pork house servant uh, Butterfly McQueen played Prissy house servant uh, Victor Jory Played Jonas Wilkerson, uh, field of overseer. Then we have Everett Brown, who played Big Sam, uh, field foreman. We have Howard Hickman, who played Joan Wikes. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, uh, John, John Wilkes. Yeah, yeah. John John Wilkes. Uh, Alicia Rett. Uh, India, his daughter. Next page. Then we have Leslie Howard, who played Ashley, his son. Olivia D. Uh... Heveland, who played Melanie Hamilton, their cousin. Uh, Rand Brooks played Charles Hamilton, her brother. Uh, Carol Nye, Frank Kennedy. Uh, I'm just gonna go from now on a uh, just the name of the, the the actor actress and then the name of the character. Sounds good. Uh, we have Carol Nye who played Frank Kennedy. Clark Gabe, Gable. Gable. Yeah, yeah. Clark Gable. Rhett Butler. Uh Laura Hope Cruz as Aunt uh, Pippy Pat Hamilton. Uh Eddie Rochester Anderson who played Uncle Peter. Harry Davenport played Doctor Maid Mead Mead Yeah. Um Leona Roberts played uh Miss Mead. Jane Darwell played Miss Uh Mary Weather. Yep. <laughs> Una Moonson. Whoa. <laughs> uh, played Belle Watling. Paul Harsh played Yankee uh, Deserter. Isabel Joel played Emmy uh, Slattery. Cammy King Colon. Conlon. Bonnie played Bonnie Blue Butler uh, as Cami King. Eric Linden played Emutation Case. J.M. Kerrigan played Johnny Gallagher. Ward Bond played Tom, Yankee captain. Jackie Moran played Phil Mead. Cliff Edwards played Reminiscent Soldier. Uh, Lillian Kimball Cooper played uh, Bonnie's Nurse in London. Uh, Yakima Kennett played Renegade. Uh, Marcella Martin played Kathleen Calvert. Louis-Jean Heidt Heidt, played Hungry Soldier holding Boo Wilkes. Uh, Mickey Coon played Boo Wilkes. Uh, Olin Howland played a carpetbagger businessman. Uh, Irving Bacon played Corporal. Uh, Robert Elliott, Yankee Major. Uh, William Backwell is a mounted officer. And finally, Mary Anderson as. uh, What does that say there? That's your writing there. Uh, We're at. Very bottom.
0: Maybelle Merriweather. There you go. Darren, she survived through it. Somehow. (laughs) That's Um, one thing. Not my best reading, I will admit. But one, one thing I do like about this movie is at the beginning, it lists like. The characters like the the players in that scene like the players at terror plantation and it'll list them all like it'll list uh, yeah scarlet o'hara you know what i mean and it'll list them all and then they'll say in atlanta the characters in atlanta the characters in charleston it, that's what i really like so you can kind of follow along so um i figured we start off with some taglines for this movie before i dive into the biography of one of the actors uh the taglines i found five of them for the thousands who remember its unparalleled drama, action, and romance. For the new thousands to whom the wonders will be revealed for the first time. Breathtaking spectacle. Inspired acting by the greatest cast ever assembled. The screen's most exciting love story. The most talked about motion picture ever made. Now in 70 millimeter widescreen and full st- stereophonic sound. Winner of 10 Academy Awards. Which Terrence has already went down to. <laughs> Uh, the greatest romance of all time, and the most magnificent picture ever.
1: Well, I do declare, Mr. Bogart.
0: <laughs> really? <laughs> so, um, we, I wanted to highlight uh, somebody that's well known for this movie because he was quite a character. So, I chose Clark Gable. Okay. Um, he was a very famous actor uh, back in the day. So, he was born February 1st, 1901 in Cadez, Ohio. He died november sixteenth, nineteen sixty in Los Angeles, uh, California from coronary thrombosis, which is a blockage of the heart or the flow of blood to the heart caused by a blood clot in a coronary artery. Hmm. So uh, his birth name was William Clark Gable. Nicknames Gabe the King, the King of Hollywood Pa. When he was seven months old, his mother died, and his father sent him to live with his maternal aunt and uncle in Pennsylvania, where he stayed until he was two. His father then returned to take him back to Cadiz. At 16, he quit high school, went to work in an Akron, Ohio tire factory, and decided to become an actor after seeing the play The Bird of Paradise. He toured in stock companies, worked oil fields, and sold tiles. They're sold ties. Sorry. His acting career then flourished. At one point, he refused an assignment and the studio punished him by loaning him out to, at the time, a low-ranked Columbia picture which put him in Frank Capra's It Happened One Night in 1934 which won him an Academy Award for his performance. <laughs> I mean, so take that. You loaded me right? out punishing me, and he won well, an Academy that, Award. not only that,
1: it's funny that, like, you know, at one point, it's like, oh, yeah, Columbia Picture, the tiny studio. Right. And now it's like. Yeah.
0: Well, and and also, I don't know, you know, but back then it seems like the studios owned actors. Yeah, You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Instead of, like, now where they're kind of like free agents, you know not I Yeah, mean?
1: exactly. Well, that, I mean, they a lot of actors still fall under contract for certain things, right? Uh, but I
0: mean, I don't think they're tied to a certain studio, right? Well, they have a, un-
1: they have agents, yeah. But if they're under contract, they're under contract. So like, uh, so they'll sign a contract saying you're going to do this many this many movies for us. So then, like, uh, a lot of times and stipulations will happen where uh, someone's done two movies for them already, but they don't like the conditions they're working under, and they're like, "Well, you have one more movie, you got to work it," and then they'll then you'll typically get a movie out of that actor-actress that's not so great because it was a movie they didn't want to do in the first place. Well, I guess
0: it kind of goes back to Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense. Remember when he owed them yeah, a exactly. couple of Disney movies or yeah. whatever?
1: So that's a fancy way of saying he had a contract with them saying he would do, do X movies. amount of movies. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. But I'm just saying he's not exclusively... And that's the same to, for... But what I'm saying, he can go yeah. shoot, or whoever can go shoot for Paramount, but they can also go shoot for Columbia. Oh, or yeah, New Line as long as that. they're not...
1: Filming X contract. movie. Yeah, exactly. So, like, all the, the characters who play all the Marvel movies, they were all in a contract. So, for example, uh, uh, all the, you know, original MCU actors, uh, their contracts are all done. Right. So, it's all, now all the new characters in MCU have their contracts and stuff. In
0: 1960, Gable's wife, Kay, discovered that she was expecting their first child. In early November of 1960, he had just completed filming The Misfits in 1961, When he suffered a heart attack and died later that month, on November 16, 1960, Gable was buried shortly afterwards in the shrine that he had built for Carol Lombard and her mother when they died at at Forest Lawn Cemetery. Hmm. In March 1961, Kay Gable gave birth to a boy whom she named Clark Gable III after his father. He was married five times to um, Kay Williams, uh, which they had one child, Sylvia Ashley... Divorced. Carol Lombard, until she died. Mary of Franklin Gable, divorced. And Josephine Dillon, they were divorced. His trademarks, pencil-thin mustache that hugged his upper lip. X-Wives. Often, <laughs> often played a viral, lovable rogue whose gruff facade was only thinly masking a natural charm and goodness. Distinctive, powerful voice and his oversized ears.
1: <laughs> so here's
0: some facts about Clark Gable Just because he was such an interesting man I wanted people to get to know him Before they knew him in Gone with the Wind Yeah This Check this one out Adolf Hitler esteemed the film star above all other actors And during the war offered a sizable reward To anyone who could capture and return Gable Who had enlisted in the Army Air Corps And was flying combat missions over Germany Unscathed to him <laughs> I mean wow. that's gotta say something about your acting of Adolf Hitler. He went after so many odd things. I know. It's just it's crazy. Uh it was at his thirty sixth birthday party that Judy Garland sang, Dear Mr. Gable, you made me love you. Huh. You know what it's it's also interesting that um a lot of the movies we've talked about so far, they all intertwine somehow. You know what I mean? It just
1: Oh yeah. One I, way I or think another. That's pretty yeah.
0: interesting. And we didn't even plan that. You know what right? I
1: mean? Right. It just happens. Small world.
0: When he was born, he was mistakenly listed as a female on his birth certificate. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, Playing a cowboy in his last film, The Misfits, which uh, was also the final film for co-star Marilyn Monroe, the aging gable uh, Gable diligently performed his own stunts. Or so they say.
1: Interesting. I will say that that is one thing that... uh I definitely feel my age, and that's like young age, not old age. But it's like, I hear misfits, <laughs> so I think, of the band and not the movie. <laughs> I, uh,
0: he was pictured on one of the four 25-cent U.S. commemorative postage stamps issued on March twenty-third, 1990, honoring classic films released in 1939. The stamp features Gable and Vivian as Rhett Butler, and Scarlett O'Hara from Gone with the Wind. Uh, The other films honored were Buge Guest in 1939, Stagecoach in 1939, and The Wizard of Oz in 1939. I love Stagecoach. He was dyslexic, a fact that didn't emerge until several years after his death. Hmm. Check this one out. Was Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster's inspiration for half of Superman's alter ego named Clark Kent?
1: That's awesome. Kent
0: came from Kent Taylor. I was like, (laughs) that is really awesome.
1: That is awesome.
0: Had to have almost all of his teeth extracted in 1933 due to pyorrhea. The infection would have killed him had he not been rushed to a private hospital for treatment. In 1933, he underwent cosmetic surgery on his ears and his teeth. At the time of his death, his gun collection was valued at half a million dollars. He had a special gun room in his house filled with gold inlaid revolvers, shotguns, and rifles.
1: It's American as it gets. <laughs> <American>. <laughs>
0: uh, on uh, November 6, uh, 1960, he was devastated to learn of the unexpected death of his close friend, um, Ward Bond, from a heart attack. Shortly afterwards, Gable himself suffered a massive heart attack and died ten days later at the hospital. Attempted suicide, he attempted suicide using a high-powered motorbike following his wife Carol Lombard's death. On November 16, 1960, he sat up in this hospital bed while reading a magazine and suffered his fourth and final heart attack. He was dead within seconds, and attempts to revive him were unsuccessful. Yeesh. He wanted his headstone to read, Back to Silence, but his widow wouldn't use it. Ah. <laughs> On November 5th, 1960, he had his first heart attack when he was changing a tire on his Jeep. President Dwight D. Eisenhower, a close friend of his, sent him a message of support wishing him a speedy recovery. I mean, yeah, he's just friends with the president. You Why know? not? <laughs> he disliked his most famous film, Gone with the Wind, in 1939, which he regarded as a woman's picture.
1: <laughs> I, can, I, mean,
0: I mean, you know, it's funny. That I can some- see
1: the label, but it's interesting that... You know, once again, we have an actor that was in a huge hit movie, and they're like,
0: yeah, I didn't really like Yeah, it. I didn't really care for it. Uh, he liked westerns and once expressed his regret that he didn't make more of them. He and then future wife Carol Lombard first met in late 1924 while working as extras on the set of Ben-Hur, A Tale of Christ in 1925. Died on the first birthday of his granddaughter, Maria. Hmm. Man, that's tragic. Yeah. In 1949, he served as pallbearer at the funeral of director Victor Fleming, whom he considers something of a father figure. Although discharged from the U.S. Army Air Force early in 1944, he refused to make another movie until the war had ended. Watched very little television except boxing matches. Hmm. And Had the a, boxing
1: was really fun to watch. Uh, like, yeah, I'll yeah. still watch old boxing matches oh, just yeah. because they're so entertaining.
0: Had a fear of flying and made all long journeys across America by train.
1: Yeah, that, that's definitely a long journey when you go by train instead of flying.
0: Yep. He was already good friends with Hattie McDa- uh, McDaniel prior to their making of Gone with the Wind together and wanted her to play the part of Mammy. But it was her coming fully dressed and nailing the part that got her the coveted role. When it came time for the premiere on December 15, 1939, producer David O. Selznick attempted to bring along McDaniel. MGM advised him not to because of Georgia's strict segregation laws, which would have prevented McDaniel from being at the same function on equal basis with whites. Gable was so outraged, he told MGM he would not attend the premiere unless she was allowed to attend. Also, she eventually convinced him to attend without her.
1: Mm.
0: I mean... I mean, I like how he. I stood mean, that, up. that's like
1: that says a lot about his character, right? And especially back then, it took a lot to to, to speak
0: st- out, exactly. You
1: know? uh, so, I mean, get on him. He's but I, mean, but
0: I mean, but I don't, I don't like that she convinced him to go without her. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think she. I wish she would have went. You know, but at
1: the same time, I think it's the whole like, look, I don't want any trouble. If I go, it's going to be weird and people are not going to want me there. And it might like, devastate
0: it's, your career. It's you lot, know?
1: Yeah, it's a lot of different like internal politics. Like, I get it. But at the same time, that would have made a
0: huge statement right. if she did. So, and it is because of him, you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Uh, he played the part of a newspaper reporter in nine films more than any kind of role he had. He wore lifts in his shoes to play Brett Butler in Gone with the Wind. I guess just to make him <laughs> look taller. At
1: least he didn't need a amount of dirt. All
0: right. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, Yul Brenner. Uh, on February 8th, 1960, he received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for his work in motion pictures located at 1608 Vine Street. He is also mentioned in the Three Stooges movie Maniacs in 1936. Hmm. And here I wrote down some quotes because he's a man of a lot of words. Uh, he said, working with Marilyn Monroe on The Misfits in 1961 nearly gave me a heart attack. I have never been happier when a film ended.
1: Uh, you know what? So many people who have worked with her, like, just kind of felt the same. Like,
0: But I don't uh, know if uh, she was, she thought she was entitled to something just because she was a big movie star, or if it's just the way she had <clears> been treated <throat> before by Hollywood that it, it made her that way.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that and she was, like, you know, a full-blown alcoholic and yeah. used drugs and stuff. So that contributes to probably an annoying factor.
0: Uh, He also said, I'm no actor and I never have been. What people see on the screen is me. The things a man has to have are hope and confidence in himself against odds. And sometimes he needs somebody, his pal or his mother or his wife or God, to give him that confidence. He's got to have some inner standards worth fighting for or there won't be any way to bring him into conflict. And he must be ready to choose death before dishonor without making too much song and dance about it. That's all there is to it. Hmm. It is an extra dividend when you like the girl you've fallen in love with. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm playing Rhett Butler in Gone with the Wind. I discovered that Rhett was even harder to play than I had anticipated. With so much of Scarlet preceding his entrance, Rhett's scenes were all climaxes. There was a chance to build up to Scarlet, but Rhett represented drama and action every time he appeared. He didn't figure in any of the battle scenes, being a guy who hated war, amid he wasn't in the toughest of the siege of Atlanta shots. When I was fighting for what to hold my own in the first half of the picture, which is all Vivian Lays, uh, because I felt that after the scene with the baby Bonnie, Red could control the end of the film. That scene where Bonnie dies and the scene where I strike Scarlet and she accidentally tumbles down the stairs, thus losing her unborn child, were the two that worried me the most. Hmm. Types really don't matter. I have been accused of preferring blondes, but I have known some mighty attractive redheads, brunettes, and yes, women with gray hair, age, height, weight, haven't anything to do with glamour. Which is, I like.
1: Yeah, no, I'm liking this guy.
0: <laughs> I don't want a lot of strangers looking down at my wrinkles with my big fat belly when I'm dead. Because he didn't want a funeral. Or Yeah. Uh, when I die, don't let them make a circus out of it. Method actors are like hams. <laughs> If any child of mine becomes an actor, I will turn in my grave. And then I went ahead and wrote down uh, the salaries by his movies. But what I did is I took his first movie, like one in the middle, and then um, okay, yeah. uh, the one at the end. So for Beard in Paradise in 1924, he made $7.50 a day. In Gone with the Wind, he made $120,000. And then his last film, The Misfits, in 1961, he made $750,000 58000 for each week of overtime. Okay. I wish I got 58000 for it. I know, right? it. Well, I mean, like, it's
1: interesting when you said the, the first one. What was it? $7.50 uh, $7. a $7. day. $7.50 a day. That's, that's minimum but you wage out that. here, isn't it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Um, all right, Terrence, we're ready to jump into the unknown facts and because yes. this is going to be a, a, a long one. Yeah, let's, okay. let's do it. Um, and before we get started, um, I am going to replace, there's a most famous... Uh, thing that he says frankly my dear i don't give a and i'm going to replace that curse word with hot dog just so when we talk about it you'll know that hot dog is another word for something we do not say on this podcast yeah yeah,
1: yeah. so here we go are you now ready you can say something silly like like doof, <laughs> doof. I, don't, I don't give a doof <laughs> okay okay doof it is um
0: the fact that Hattie McDaniel would be unable to attend the premiere is racially segregated, segregated Atlanta outraged Clark Gable so much that they threatened to boycott the premiere unless she could attend. He later relented when she, relented when she convinced him to go. We've already yep. talked about that. We've also talked about how she became the first African-American woman to be nominated for and win an Academy Award. This is the first color film to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. At nearly four hours long, this is the longest running of all motion pictures to win the prestigious Academy Award for Best Picture. Barbara O'Neill was only twenty eight when she appeared as Ellen O'Hara, Scarlett's mother. Vivian Leigh was twenty five when she appeared as Scarlet, who is only sixteen at the beginning of the film. So there's only three age different years different between the mom and Huh.
1: I mean I guess I'm not surprised. A lot of the times you get uh, you know, younger actors oh, I'm sorry uh actors who look younger playing those younger
0: roles. At two hours, twenty-three minutes, and thirty-two seconds, Vivian Leigh's performance in this movie is the longest to ever won an Academy Award. So that's how much screen mm. time she had out of the three hours and
1: Yeah. That's um wow.
0: Margaret Mitchell personally approved of Vivian Leigh's perform or interpretation of Scarlett The horse that Thomas Mitchell rode was later silver of the Lone Ranger mm. in 1949, which I love. Uh, if box office receipts were adjusted for inflation, it would be the top grossing movie of all time. Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope would only be the second most successful movie of all time. According to the Guinness World Records homepage, the total gross in 2012 figures for Gone with the Wind would be uh, $4,401,358,554.94 uh, in 2012. So, so much just, money. You know, <laughs> I mean, wow. When Gary Cooper turned down the role of Rep Butler, he was passionately against it. It is quoted as saying, Gone with the Wind is going to be the biggest flop in Hollywood history. And I'm just glad it's, it'll be Clark Gable who's falling on his face and not Gary Cooper. Uh, <laughs> Boy, I bet he had to eat those words. Right. <laughs> When Rhett pours Mammy a drink after the birth of Bonnie for a joke during a take, Clark Gable actually poured alcohol instead of the usual tea (laughs) in the decanter without Hattie McDaniel knowing it until she took a swig. That's funny. (laughs) So he's a prankster, too. Max Steiner was given only three months to compose the music, considering that 1939 was the busiest year of his career. In that year, he wrote the music for 12 films. In order to meet the deadline, Steiner sometimes worked for 20 hours straight and took uh, Benzedrine pills to stay awake. With almost three hours of music, Gone with the Wind had the longest film score ever composed up to that time.
1: Wow. You know, was, uh, when you were first reading that fact, I was like, that sounds like a lot of no sleep. And then, sure enough, the drugs kicked a in. A lot of no sleep, yeah.
0: Uh, Vivian Leigh, uh later said that she hated kissing Clark Gable because of his bad breath, River to be because of his false teeth, a result of excessive smoking. According to Frank Buckingham, a technician who observed the film being made, Gable would sometimes eat garlic before his kissing scenes oh, with Vivian Leigh. I
1: just did really <laughs> punch it home. That's lie I, I will say, probably didn't even need the garlic. I remember uh, when I was in training, um, we were doing a jo- joint training with uh, Army, and there was a uh, staff sergeant who smoked like a chimney, and there was like zero... Mouth care to go with this chain smoking, so it just Smelt like an old oh, sitting out in the sun in your face, So, like, uh, like he, yeah, he would. He and it, it like, we were training, it was like very laid back, but still, he'd come up, be like, You need anything? It was funny because he has the same last name as I do. He's like, You need anything, Davis? I'm like, No, no
0: I really don't. <laughs> I need you to get away from me, <laughs> is so, what I need. I
1: got everything from here,
0: <laughs> I think they need help over there. <laughs> Olivia De Havilland, who had been the lone survivor of the four principal leads since the death of Vivian Leigh in 1967, was the only major cast member to live to celebrate the 70th anniversary of the Pictures premiere on December 15, 2009. Ranks fourth as of 2017 in the Academy Award's Most Nominated Films list with 13 nominations.
1: Oh, what are the first two? I wonder. I don't know. To be like the most, and they had like, it'd what, it'd be 10, three. right? Yeah, 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 those, yeah so they had
0: 13.
1: 13, okay. So then there's... Two other movies, three, three other movies that four, have yeah. more than wow. Okay, I have to find you that want, out you
0: later. want look, look that up. Yeah, on yeah, why okay. Not? okay. So Vivian Leigh worked for 125 days and received about twenty-five thousand dollars. Clark Gable worked for 71 days and received over 120 thousand dollars. Oh wow! So there again, we go back to the um, unequal pay, like from the Wizard of Oz. The film has never been cut. Some theatrical re-releases and home video releases are longer because of the restored overture, intermission, interact, and exit music, not because any deleted scenes have been restored and added.
1: Hmm. Okay. So that kind of answers the previous question we had a little bit, yeah.
0: Very few of the principal cast members liked the characters they were portraying. Clark Gable was introduced into accepting his role through arrangements to divorce his current wife and marry Carol Lombard. Rand Brooks, who played Scarlett's first husband, Charles Hamilton was actually a rough outdoorsman who objected to play a wimpy character. Butterfly McQueen disliked the negative stereotype of her character. Leslie Howard felt he was too old for the role of Ashley Wilkes and complained that his costume made him look like a fairy doorman at a hotel. (laughs) To add to the publicity, fans were asked to vote for the actress they think should play Scarlett. Out of hundreds of ballots cast, Vivian Leigh got only one vote. Oh, wow. Huh. So,
1: okay, I found what movies topped Gone with the Wind. Yeah, um, the and awards. conveniently enough, they just named the top three. So the first one being Ben-Hur. Great The movie. 1959 version, of Great course, because the, the we're not even going to talk about the remake. Anyway, uh, that won 15 awards. Uh, 15 categories, I'm sorry, 15 categories, available for nomination, nominated for 12. Um, Titanic. Uh, 17 categories available for nomination nominated for 14 out of 17 so I think they take into account how many are available and how many they got nominated for so um, uh, Ben-Hur was 12 out of 15, Titanic 14 out of 17 and then third we have Lord of the Rings Return of the King Nice. uh, 11 out of 17 so that is very interesting
0: very interesting thank you for looking that up
1: I, honestly, I didn't expect either, like a any newer of those movie three. To... Or, particularly Lord of the Rings, that one was left field. I right. do see Titanic. Uh, ben Hur was uh, such a great movie that and I yeah, could it see did, that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Una Munson, who played brothel madam Belle Watling, considered the film a curse as she was continually typecast afterwards. So there we go with that typecast. It happens. I know. Reportedly, one of the reasons stated by David O. Selznick as why he fired George Kukar's as director was that Kukor a homosexual, would be unable to properly direct the love scenes between Rhett and Scarlet. Hence, he was replaced by macho director Victor Fleming. Although he was dismissed from the production, Kukor continued to privately coach both Vivian Leigh and Olivia de Havilland at their request on weekends, unbeknownst to both Selznick and Fleming. Huh. Which, that shows a lot for his character, too, that, hey, I'm even though I'm not on this film anymore and you guys want me to help you, I'm going to help you.
1: It does, yeah. Um.
0: Uh, yeah, this is just a very unfortunate circumstance, yeah. but... Yeah, interesting fact. Uh, The first scene to be shot was the burning of the Atlanta Depot filmed on December 10, 1938. Wow, so this started in 1938, shooting. If there was a major mistake during the filming, the entire film might have been scrapped. They actually burned many old sets that needed to be cleared from the studio backlot, including ones from the Garden of Allah and the Great Wall set from King Kong. The fire cost over $25,000 and yielded 113 minutes of footage. It was so intense that Culver City residents jammed the telephone lines thinking MGM was burning down. Scarlett was stunt doubled by Aline Goodwin and Lilla Finn, while Rhett was doubled by veteran stuntmen Yakima Kanu and Jay Wisely. David O. Selznick begged Margaret Mitchell, author of the novel, to critique every aspect of their production. An intense private person, she gave one criticism of the facade of the design for Tara, which was ignored. Mm. Afterwards, she refused to comment on any aspect of the film during production. So he's asking her for help, and then... doesn't even take her advice, so I guess she got mad. According to the newsreels, there was a handful of Confederate Civil War veterans who, though quite old, attended the premiere in Atlanta. I'm not... Yeah, I'm not surprised. But that's pretty cool, though. But, yeah, it's interesting. The four principles were built on the film's poster in this order. Clark Gable followed by Leslie Howard and uh, uh, Olivia de Havilland and then presenting Vivian Leigh. This changed when Leigh won the Oscar. <laughs> 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 As Vivian Leigh could not dance, she is doubled in all non-close-up shots by Sally DeMarco. It's amazing that she had so many doubles. Usually only have one.
1: they just teach you that. Like even if you can't, maybe they. Just dance, maybe they just I, well, I mean, tired. I guess, but yeah. I mean, with all the filming, they had to knock out.
0: During filming, Vivian Leigh reportedly smoked four packs of cigarettes a day. Clark Gable smoked three packs a day throughout his career. Huh. The first rough cut in July 1934 ran four and a half hours long. Wow. Forty-eight minutes longer than the final release. Wow. I can't imagine. Wow.
1: That editing room must have just been so exhausted. Well,
0: there's some notes in here about how much film was used. You're, you're not going to believe that. For the premiere in Atlanta in December 15, 1939, the governor declared a state holiday. Ticket prices for the premiere were 40 times the usual going rate. Wow. 40 times. Jeez. There's an ambiguity over exactly when Vivian Leigh was contracted to play Scarlett O'Hara. One theory holds that David O. Selznick had already secretly signed her for the role as early as February 1938, and that the nationwide or nationwide search for Scarlett O'Hara, during which thousands of dollars were spent testing aspiring actresses for the part, was actually a well-orchestrated publicity stunt on Selznick's part to keep a life interest in the very expensive film he had did not yet have the money to produce.
1: <laughs> Supposedly,
0: Selznick realized that the American audience might have difficulty accepting a British. Actress in such an important American role. Therefore, he made it look as though Leigh was discovered spontaneously during the filming of the Atlanta Fire, which she happened to be visiting together with Laurence Olivier, with whom she was having an affair with at the time. Another interesting story is that Selznick's brother, Myron Selznick, an agent, introduced Leigh to David during the filming of the Atlanta Fire and said, David, meet your Scarlett O'Hara. The truth of the matter is actually unknown and may never be resolved. Hmm. Out of the 1,400 actresses interviewed for the part of Skorlo O'Hara, only 400 were asked to do readings. Hmm. Which is, I mean, why they just look at them and say, eh, yeah, 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 you can go on. In a March 1939 newspaper article, David O. Selznick was reported to be considering uh, producing this film as two films, as it was felt that the novel was far too long and complex to be successfully made into a single motion picture for the time. Olivia De haviland always meticulously researched her roles. As she had not yet had a baby in real life, she visited a maternity hospital to study how various women coped with the stress of childbirth for the scene where Melanie has her baby. Off-camera, the scene's director, George Kukar, would occasionally pinch her toes to make her feel pain. Hmm. (laughs) That's funny. Super macho director Victor Fleming wanted Scarlett for at least once in the film to look like his hunting buddy Clark Gable's type of woman. So, when wearing the stunning low-cut burgundy velvet dress with rhinestones that Scarlett wears to Ashley Wilkes' birthday party in the second half of the film to achieve the desired cleavage for Fleming, Walter Plunkett had to tape Vivian Leigh's breasts together.
1: Wow. Also, uh just... When it comes to... uh uh what was the beginning of that sentence? It triggered a thought. Super here.
0: macho director. Richard so, yeah,
1: that is that like is that title permanently attached to his name?
0: I, it must be. It must be like the man. Super family.
1: macho. Like <laughs> I, I just imagine this like old timey like bodybuilder looking dude. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> Are you ready for this? Yeah. After the film finished shooting, there were eighty-eight hours of footage. Oof. Eighty-eight hours. Poor editing room. Can you imagine watching that movie? Oh, oh wow. The 88 hours. Yeah. Jeez. The character of Ashley Wilkes was based on Margaret Mitchell's cousin by marriage, John, Doc, Holiday. Melanie was based on Mitchell's third cousin and Doc's first cousin and close friend Maddie's sister, Melanie, Holiday. Doc moved west and became the gambler and gunfighter of Gunfight at the OK Corral fame. Maddie joined a, con- a convent and became a nun but maintained a correspondence with Doc who died of tuberculosis in 1887, 13 years before Margaret Mitchell was born. Hmm. So they got a lot of ties into some other things. Anne Rutherford got a call at 3 a.m. to be on location uh, to pick cotton for a scene. She was licking the blood off her fingers when picking the cotton. Uh, David O'Sullivan came by to check on her. She showed him the blood. He said, good, good. What the heck? (laughs) Because I guess to get the actual, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One month after the book was published, David O. Selznick purchased the movie rights from Margaret Mitchell for an unprecedented $50,000. At the time, it was the highest sum that had ever been paid for the author's first novel. Realizing he had underpaid Mitchell, Selznick gave her an additional $50,000 as a bonus when he dissolved Selznick's international pictures in 1942.
1: I mean, at least he came back and went, hey, you know what? You deserve way more from this role.
0: And he he basically paid her twice. Yeah. So so uh, that's very nice of him. Some people have just been like, hey, sorry about your luck. And it was her first novel? Yeah. Vivian Leigh wasn't happy with Victor Fleming's brusque style after the careful nurturing she had enjoyed with George Cukart. When she asked him for direction in one scene, he told her, ham it up. (laughs) On another occasion, when she asked uh, for constructive advice, he told her to take the script and stick it up her royal British uh, doof, if you will. (laughs) After Kukar's departure, Leia had to fight hard to keep the movie Scarlet True to review. Fleming's interpretation of her was that she was out out and out doof, as in the novel, and that he had no desire to create any sympathy or insight for her. Okay, so the early scene where Mammy reprimands Scarlett for not eating is one of the few remaining in the final film shot by original director George Kukar. Hmm. So they did keep some of his work in there. A leading contender for Scarlett O'Hare in this film was Catherine Hepburn, but she lost out, but later served as maid of honor at Vivian Leigh's and Lord's Olivier's wedding. Interesting. David O. Selznick asked Alfred Hitchcock, see how these all tie together? Yeah. For help with the scene in which the woman wait for the men for the raid of Shantytown and Melanie reads David Copperfield. Hitchcock delivered a precise treatment complete with description of shots and camera angles. He wanted to show Brett, Ashley, etc. outside the house, dodging the Union soldiers. He also wanted an unexchange or an exchange of meaningful glances between Melanie and Rhett inside the house. Virtually nothing of this treatment was used. Hmm. I was like So they asked They asked they asked Alfred people Hitchcock. And he set the whole thing up for him. To,
1: wow! I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I guess you don't get 88. You know, uh, uh, what was it was 88 hours.
0: Yeah, film of
1: film, and not have stuff like that. But, but I would like, love
0: to see that. I'd love yeah. just to see what he would have brought to the thing. When Scarlet searched for Dr. Meade, making her way among 16, uh, 1,600 suffering and dying Confederate soldiers to cut costs and still comply with the Union rule that dictated the use of a certain percentage of extras in the cast, 800 dummies were scattered among 800 extras. According to the documentary The Making of a Legend Gone with the Wind in 1988, in addition to saving money, the use of dummies was partially uh, used because there was not enough extras available due to the fact that four other films requiring a lot of extras were filming the same day.
1: I didn't even think about that because, I mean, nowadays it's so easy to impose more people via, you know, CGI or whatever, right? Um, Or like uh, a a trick they'll do is if you have like large armies and like big scale war scenes, they just copy and paste the like sort of all all the people. But like, you know, back in the day, they didn't have that luxury of doing that. So you needed a lot of extras or in this case, extras and dummies, which is which is cool. Uh,
0: Neither Clark Gable nor Leslie Howard wanted to be in the film. Howard didn't even bother to read the original novel. While directing the scene where Prissy says, Oh, Miss Scarlet, I don't know nothing about birth and babies, director George Cukor told Vivian Leigh to actually slap actress Butterfly McQueen, who played Prissy, and to make it as realistic as possible and directed McQueen to scream. After many takes, McQueen broke down into tears complaining that Leigh was hitting her too hard. In a later interview, McQueen said that she bargained with the others, stating that if uh, Leigh hit her, she would not scream. But if Lee's hand only passed close to her face with the illusion of hitting her, she would scream as loudly as she could. McQueen also giggled and said that she thought Prissy should have been slapped often because she was horrid. Huh. So. Prominent Atlanta preacher Martin Luther King Sr., father of Martin Luther King, was invited to the Coalition Ball held in Atlanta at the film's premiere. He had been urged to boycott the festivities by other community leaders because none of the black actors in the film were allowed to attend. King Sr. attended because he was invited and brought along his famous son with him.
1: Interesting.
0: I mean, you know, and it's just, you wonder why he was invited. Maybe because he was a prominent figure in the community. Yeah. But other people weren't allowed to attend. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The premiere was held in Atlanta, Georgia on December 15, 1939. It was reportedly the first time that David O. Selznick had even been to the South. Hmm. After Scarlet returns to a vandalized Tara, digs up a radish in the garden, then retches and gives her famous, as God is my witness, line... The vomiting sounds were were actually looped by Olivia de Havilland. One version of the story is that Vivian Leigh could not produce a convincing enough retching sound. Ah. Another version is that Leigh would not make the retching sound because it simply was not ladylike. <laughs> <laughs> and the intra-act in music is played entirely on a Nova chord, the first use of an electronic synthesizer in a Hollywood feature film.
1: So the interesting part, of, like like okay, so the ladylike part. Um, I, I just find that interesting seeing as like, you know, in the movie, um, one of the things that uh, attracts uh, Rhett to Scarlet is like she has these unladylike moments. And he's like, that's the part I like.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, so with that being said, we know that this is a long movie and uh, we we thought about it. We were going to have an intermission and just keep going. But I think we're going to break it down into two parts. Um, this being the end of part one. So um, we are getting ready to record. We might even do it tomorrow. The second part of this, um, which will be just strictly facts and our opinions. You know, yeah. the rest of the facts. Because there's Terrence looked and there's still like a stack of pages. So in front of, much. <laughs> so much pages in front of me. So um, I'll get this one out and we will record the other one tomorrow morning or whatever. And we'll release it too. So this is part one of Gone With the Wind. And we will give the special announcement tomorrow as well as our opinions and where you can find us. If you have any questions between now and then, the tragedy of cinema at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, and Podbean. So with that being said, I think that's a wrap on part one of Gone with the Wind. Part and one. that's a wrap. Cut.